So, hello everyone. Welcome back on the AgriAdventures channel. This is Simone Berliat, and today we're gonna have one or new special episode, the tricks and the tips of gardening correlated with AgriAdventures. And today we have with us uh, Rachel McMillan. Hi. Hello. So we can see a beautiful garden over there. And uh, my always boring uh, Agri Adventures dog on my back. And uh, so, uh, Rachel, for who's following us and for um, uh, knows a little bit about the Agri Adventures platform, it should be, she should be known because she hosts an uh, edible garden tour experience on the platform. If you've been coming with us in one of our tours, you definitely know her too. And but for doesn't who doesn't follow uh, the platform and is curious, Rachel, she's a professional in hospitality. She's been working many years in the industry. And then she decided to move when she came here in South Australia, she decided to move in production. Uh, what you guys you're doing, you're producing uh, edible flowers um, and uh, herbs and some natives for the uh, restaurant markets. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. There's quite a demand for all of those. So we sort of juggle between doing those different ones. And we also do some garden design as well, which you can see is evident at Penny's Hill Winery. Any garden that we're doing obviously has a design to start that. Okay. So uh, how long have you been uh, producing or working with gardens in your um, well, um, on a professional level, uh, about 15 years, but I certainly dabbled before that. And I think um, most people who are professional gardeners or uh, producers in any way, a lot of us have been brought up uh, in, in gardens. Uh, my mum and dad, we lived in the country, we produced our own food. So a lot of it's been learnt from, you know, being a young girl living in the country. But uh, then I, as you said, moved into hospitality and moved away from actually working in, in gardens at all. And I've slowly gone back into what I really enjoy the most. Uh, so uh, several other businesses that I've had um, and uh, hospitality uh, management roles. But this is something that I'm really passionate about and something that I really love doing. So uh, Macmillan and Drew started at the beginning of 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and Sarah and I, who Sarah's Sarah Drew, my business partner, her and I are, are focused on the production side of things and designing. So we spend most of our time luckily out in beautiful gardens and um, around the Fluro Peninsula out with the fresh air and you know where we want to be. Exactly. There's definitely a colourful business, if I can yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. So you were speaking about uh, Penny Hill, Penny's Hills uh, Winery, where uh, we have a pictures at the back end that where you've been based so far, where you have your production, and there is another location where you do uh, the production with Sarah. And uh, for this episode, uh, the interest was, I think it was really interesting to share a bit more about uh, what is seasonal in terms of uh, edible flowers and uh, herbs, or if it's not seasonal, what is uh, mildly used and available for people and some uh, possible uh, recipes that we could use uh, these ingredients or uh, uh, some tricks on uh, having them, you know, working fine in the garden. Some of them, they are really, really peculiar, if you want to use the word to be grown. And uh, obviously, 
we don't want to have a garden design that is your job so then they can speak with you if they want to have a nice garden design but you know this interesting information that for us that we are used to the classic veggies from the supermarket that would be really really interesting like in yeah. the tours yeah in the tours uh, we uh, have seen uh, many people really interested to discover uh, these plants that they sometimes consider it uh, more uh, the um, pests in the mm -hmm. garden than actually being used. And um, so it would be nice if you have any examples or any uh, flowers or products that they are available now to share with the people that's following. Okay, um, I guess seasonality is an interesting thing. It depends... It depends on the weather and so particularly for the last two years it's been a bit cooler i think we're all finding that summer is starting a little bit later um so when we're talking about something that's in season it can actually change from year to year and you know from week to week so for instance if we get a bit of a cold spell and then a hot spell in the middle of summer it can send things to seed and to flower you know very quickly so it can push things out of season very quickly because we're um, a commercial garden what we're trying to do is extend those growing seasons mm. so a nasturtium is a good example of uh, something that normally at the moment you can't really grow a lot of them um, they're more sort of winter springtime when it starts getting cooler again uh, so at the moment, and just today, for example, I was rung by one of my distributors that one of the chefs that we're supplying wants as many nasturtium flowers as possible, which I think is, you know, literally hundreds. Um, so I popped into the garden to see what we had. And I have some, I couldn't meet that whole order. And I'm talking to some other growers around the place. But most people aren't growing nasturtium flowers at this time of the year. But we have been pushing the seasons out with them by growing them in shady and cooler areas within the garden. Mm -hmm. We need to water them all the time. We need to make sure that they don't have caterpillars on them. That's something that at this time of the year, there's a, a lot of white fly around and different caterpillars. So for us, nasturtium is something that we can actually grow year round um, because we're pushing those seasons out. Um, there's a whole lot of flowers um that definitely will not grow at certain times of the year but say for example corn flowers we're just about to finish those they've been going for the last three months so we've had them once again in areas that are a little bit more sheltered we put up some shade cloth over them to try and extend their period out so at any one time of the year we can supply and grow about 10 to 15 different types of edible flowers um, and those flowers, um, some there, there are some native flowers within that, uh, or flowers from native plants. Um, there's some that people would consider weeds, um, and there's some that are just standard garden flowers. Um, and going back to the nasturtium, it's a very good example of, I rang a friend who has another property down south, and I was hoping that she might have some nasturtium flowers because they're a little bit cooler down there than where we are. It is Florio, but it's quite a bit further south and she's in a, a valley um, with a creek running through it. So she's just that little bit cooler than us. I was hoping she did. And she's a professional herb grower, has been for probably 30 years. And 
she said, there's no way I would have nasturtiums in my garden. I couldn't get rid of them. They're a terrible weed. <laughs> Whereas for me, it's a commercial product. And nasturtium is great because we can sell the leaves in bulk. We can sell them in little punnets that we pick individually to make sure that they're beautiful and they go on a plate individually. Uh, we can sell the stems. We can sell the seeds, which can be pickled like capers. And we can sell the flowers. So, um, yeah, it's a, an interesting plant for us. And some people look at it as a weed, but for us, it's definitely a very viable commercial product. But that takes a lot of work to keep that going year, you know, throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, definitely. Being commercial, uh, being a business and commercial, you need to have a sort of stability in the production. Otherwise, you're not yes. going to go anywhere. I mean, you cannot yeah. keep changing. And chefs, they like to create new dishes, but they don't like to do that every week. Yes, yeah. So that's exactly. one of the things. Uh, so uh, do you think it will be possible to uh, see for people that's following the uh, nasturtius plant? Oh, sure. Um, I will. Um, so I will share my screen here. Mm -hmm. um, share screen. And hopefully I can locate some flowers. So can you see oh. that there, Simone? Wow. That, yes, I can see definitely. You see all the flowers. Yeah, uh, so this, would, yep. th this here is uh, the punnets that we sent out this week. Um, okay. This is, so this is basically, you know, seasonality in a punnet, really, if you're mm -hmm. looking at it like this. Um, that's what was in our garden. And that's what we put together, probably about 70 punnets of those a week. So could the nasturtium is the orange one there. Yeah, the orange. And uh, could you tell us a little bit the names of the others? Uh, yes. The oh, oh, sorry. So um, the yellow there is uh, fennel. So that's mm -hmm. um, fennel flower, which will then turn into a seed, obviously, later. This little white one here is coriander. I wonder if I can zoom in a little bit there. Yeah. yeah. So that is coriander here. Um, and, uh, you know, if people are wondering what they taste like, they pretty much taste like what the herb does. So any herbs um that you're growing if they have a flower the flower is edible um the the advantage of the flower is they often have nectar down in the base of the flower so you get say with nasturtium it's that pepperiness mm. but because it has nectar in it then you get a little sweet bit at the end yeah um definitely. so the ones these ones are sweet that's a little bit harder to see that is a pineapple sage there so deep pineapple here, sorry pineapple a pineapple sage, so a salvia, a type of salvia. Okay. Yeah. So that one has a lot of nectar in it. We mm -hmm. often have to make sure that the ants aren't in that. Same goes with the nasturtium flower. We have to get the ants out because the ants love the, the nectar and they are obviously, you know, pollinating. So that's what the ants are doing running around there. Mm -hmm. um, but that one is particularly, you know, it's got a nice sort of savory flavor, but then a really, really sweet bit at the end. Yep. This Purple one here is a cornflower. Okay. Um, so that one, generally, when chefs serve that, it goes, they, they, they um, break that up into lots of lots of little flowers and serve that. Um, we can also see in here some rocket. Where's the rocket? That's rocket there. I can show yeah. you a better picture of that later. Uh, we've got some cosmos here. We've got snapdragon, a little What's bit of a listener. Uh, Cosmos is a beautiful, um, it's more sort of autumn through to spring flower. 
it's a lovely big they come in whites pinks and burgundies mm -hmm. um i can see if i can find some pictures of cosmos there it's easier oh, so that's so that's on a cake that's a, a young lady in Wollonga. that's um that's our flowers so mm -hmm. you can see there that's the cosmos it's a beautiful big um you know vibrant flower with quite a sweet flavor so that's the other thing that does define what we do as well whether things are sweet or savory um so all of these flowers um can be used for sweet the borage here that's a very popular one that um i would say is more savory but it's cucumber flavor um as you've tasted yourself um and or some people have some other ideas what it tastes like but that can be lent to savory because it's not a very strong flavor yeah, um, sure. here we have corn flour uh violas which is our most popular product um so you wouldn't for example put on a chive flour like this very very strong chive flavor and yeah, that sure. would obviously wreck the taste of a, a lovely cake um so yes, they all have um, you know quite quite different flavors to each other, and I think that's definitely something that's changed since we've gone into the business. Is originally flowers and garnishes were not necessarily edible and or palatable, but now they are often very much part of the flavor of a dish. Um, and we sort of this is here at Aurora. Aurora actually do use our nasturtiums. Oh, uh, that wow. was. Uh, kangaroo meat, cured kangaroo meat in, in spinach um, with a nasturtium flour. And the nasturtium flour is to be eaten with the dish. It's not just meant to be just a garnish. Exactly. Um, That's one of, one of the things that I really like about uh, uh, the flowers, but also I really like about the whole concept, which is the flowers, they are starting to be really, as you said, part of uh, the experience. Yes. They're not just decoration anymore. And then yeah. uh, we had the opportunity when coming and visiting and testing these uh, flowers directly from the garden. They have a big impact on the dish. They're not just a side. Yeah. A lot of time people think that they are oh so delicate. No, you have to be careful how you use them. So there is a knowledge that has to be built or is already available for uh, chefs to how use these, these ingredients. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've just found here a picture of um, the nasturtium seed pods. Mm -hmm. And that's how we actually sell those commercially. It takes quite a long time to, to pick those, but they can be then pickled. Um, and they need to be really picked at the right time because otherwise they can end up too tough. But they're picked just at the right time of the season and they're beautiful, crunchy, um, you know, peppery, you know, just such a lovely flavor. So can I ask you, you have... Uh, when you work with the chefs, do you have a little bit of open brackets for you propose them to have something that it's available now? Like you speak about the nasturtium seeds, they have a specific time on which they have to pick up, otherwise they get harder. This is normal seeds that yes. have to get yep. dry. So, yep. so chefs are open for you to suggesting or simply they are pointing out, I want to have that color, I want that flavor and that's it. It depends on the chef and it depends on the establishment. Uh, um, if the menu is very flexible, there's some places that will just take whatever we can send them that's in season and they'll be able to use that. Um, 
with my previous business, we had a, a closer relationship with chefs uh, in the Florio, but now that I work with distributors, um, it's not so easy to do that. But we're getting to the point now where um, we know that there's a certain amount of restaurants that will just take what is fresh. And it takes a lot of courage, I think, for chefs to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of knowledge. I think generally chefs that are in a position to do that have had that experience of really working with a, a garden and, you know, not just doing sort of top to tail like they do with meat, but really, you know, flower to root and <laughs> being able to use every part of the flower. And some people, some chefs, and it's, it's a small amount, but it is growing, are really excited just to get uh, a new ingredient um, and something different that they can put on the plate. But generally, it wouldn't be, um, you know, bigger places. It, it's more, you know, fine dining with um, uh, degustations. So, that, you know, it can be just changed. And it, it may be the same dish, but the garnish is changed or some part of that flavour is changed. But the other thing that we do, another thing that a lot of people do, for instance, you know, Matolo, I know that they use um, some of our produce. Um, a lot of pickles, um, a lot of things that are prepared. So they'll take whatever we have um, at the time and then they'll pickle it um, or they'll preserve it in some way so that it can be used at a later stage. So that's definitely not, not so much with the flowers, but with any other parts of the plants. Um, we've got at the moment purslane or um, per, um, sorry, portulaca, uh, pigweed, some people may call it. I don't know that I've got any photos of that. Uh, but that is going to the botanic and I'm not quite sure what they're doing, but I'd be guessing that he's actually pickling that, but it's also beautiful, fresh as well. It's, um, it's not dissimilar to the sort of flavor of here. We've got the, um, disfimer or the small leaf pig face. That's okay. like a nice crunchy, really juicy, succulent flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, you know, lots of things in the garden that are being taken and used in different ways. They're not always necessarily being used fresh. They're, they're preserved often um, to, to make things last out for that menu, which may only be, you know, a couple of weeks before they change it. Um, and I note now that when you go out, even to the top restaurants, you so often aren't given a menu that's, you know, in a nice, nice leather bound, you know, folder or whatever. You're given a piece of paper because you know that it's been printed um, that day for you, you know, yeah. it's an individual menu and it's just changing all the time. And they're quite broad as well. A lot of the times they're not as specific anymore. Um, so we were somewhere recently and they would just have oyster, green apple, mint. And then you can just add whatever else you want to it. So it kind of leaves it open for the chef for interpretation on the day and what mm -hmm. the availability is. And I think that's a very important part of having... Um, you know, a flexible um, menu is to be able to adapt to the seasons because it doesn't matter what we do um, to try and extend our seasonality. If you get a locust plague, which there was one this summer, um, if you get unexpected hail and you don't have everything under shade cloth, um, cold snaps, hot snaps, it can just wipe out a lot of stuff unexpectedly. You know, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. So having that flexibility with the way that you word your menu and educate your staff um, 
is really important to be able to use, you know, these sorts of beautiful products seasonally and use them well. I think, yeah, having that flexibility. Absolutely. And also I think that for a chef that his passion is to create flavors, be able to change uh, after his palate, maybe can be even a journey of learning how yes. to use these ingredients. So yeah. it's definitely a good opportunity and a good sign. When I get into restaurants that they have huge menus with uh, tons of ingredients, I'm always aware about that. They want, they are not able to have all these ingredients fresh. Yes. Generally, they work with frozen products. And yes. if I go to a restaurant, it's because they want to have an experience. So I generally try to get into restaurants that they have small menus, but they can give me this experience that is more yeah. local and more seasonal. Now we are back here. And um, I was actually looking to ask you, uh, apart than flowers, because... Uh, yeah, it's a little bit uncommon to having them going in the meal, but there are, I know that there are other um, plants, herbs, or uh, that they are considered uh, grass to mm. throw away. Mm -hmm. Do you have any over there that are available and that, that the people could be interested to know more about, like mm. weeds that we think weeds, but they are just weeds because we're used to consider them something that we can't eat, but they are edible. Yeah, um, well, as I said, you know, the, the portulaca, that's definitely one that people are pulling out of the garden all the time. It was quite ironic this um, season that I had a viola bed that was finished because it was, it was too hot um, and there was a lot of it coming up in that garden. And I was literally ripping it out, starting to weed it out. And somebody rang me and said, can, can you do it in bunches? So, so that is one that we've got. I think everybody's got it in their garden at the moment. And you can just pick that up out of the garden, rinse it off and chop it up into a salad. It's got a great crunch, it's really juicy and super high in omega-3s as well. So re really healthy for you. Um, dandelion is another one that people would consider to be a weed. We have that coming up a lot in the garden. I try and let it, um, you know, grow in areas that it's not going to take over too much because I like to add it to my own salad. I really enjoy bitter greens, um, having worked in a garden for a long time. I think it's, some of us have that palate. Some of us sort of need to, um, relearn that palate, but, Eating bitter greens is just part of my normal diet. And I really like the dandelions and the chicories and things like that. And they're things that self-seed in our garden all the time. Um, over the summer period, what else would we have? Plantain is coming along now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's got quite a mushroomy flavor. Fat hen is another one. Um, fat hen is beautiful. It's really quite, um, it's a very tender leaf. And it's got a very faint, earthy mushroom flavor. So that's that's a great one. Um, and it's then going in because they can even uh, give texture. Yes, we don't think, but they absolutely. Can give you can they can add texture to the dish. Texture. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think you know, looking at the winter period, one that people pull out of their garden all the time is stinging nettle. Um, it is so flavorsome, so yummy. It's a little bit hard to handle, but so you have to wear gloves. Um, oh, I have a secret technique, how you can handle them without using gloves. How's that? 
So the different recall things on the plant, yes. we call yep. them, they're all facing upward. Yes. So if you start to holding them from the bottom and then you pull up, yep. you won't sting your finger. Oh, right. Okay. I, I didn't was, know that. I was doing that when I was little. The first yep. time, obviously, I, I got stung. And then I learned. And then you, you simply can, when you hold them, you do like this. And then they yes. come off without stingers. Obviously, over there, you pick one, two, or three. You're not yeah. going to go around doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. really practical. Yeah. But if you have it in your garden and then you don't have it available, don't worry. And also, in case you get stung, the, the, the sting itself is really good for your um, circulatory system, for your blood system. The circulation, yeah. Yeah. So it's not, not pleasant, but yeah. definitely <laughs> you're not going to die. Okay. And well, it's the same when you eat it. When you actually eat it, it's really good for your circulation. It's recommended for people who have gout. Um, so whether you actually have it on your skin or whether you consume it, it actually is really good for you in any way. But it's probably I would I would prefer to eat it in a nice ravioli or something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's probably one of the most popular weeds i would say these days i think mm. you see that on a lot of menus and uh you know beautiful soups and that, but then i think about things like sorrel as well we've got quite a few different types of sorrel that can be considered to be a weed but for us it's a commercial product that we sell 30 bunches of every week mm. so um and then you know like you've seen my garden you've seen the horseradish and you've seen the artichokes Mm -hmm. I never planted them there. They came in the soil from another property okay. and they take over. They absolutely take over, but they're fantastic vegetables. You know, horseradish is delicious, um, but once you've got it in your garden, if you've allowed it to, to get into other parts of the garden, it completely can take over, take over other plants. So for us, even though it is a commercial product, we don't do it on that scale. So for me, horseradish is actually a weed and artichokes to a certain extent as well, but their flower is actually edible too. So for us, that is, um, you know, we, we, we harvest them and then we just keep the artichokes for ourselves because they're so tasty. Yeah, um, but I the first that. season that we move, we actually put in a garden that um, I had students dig up from a previous property and they bought it over and I didn't realize that, that they were digging up the artichoke bed. And probably in a 20 square meter garden, we got a hundred kilos of Jerusalem artichokes. Um, so that's, you know, I probably should define that for people. It's not the globe artichoke, which is the traditional, you know, people would think is an Italian artichoke where you yeah. pickle or eat the inside of it. This is- you, you use the flowers instead, uh, while the Jerusalem artichoke, you use the roots. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, you can eat the flower, but generally it's the root that's eaten and you, you know, it can be eaten raw um, or roasted and then it's really sweet, really delicious. So yeah, it's just all relative. It's what you want and it's what you want in your garden and what you appreciate and what you have knowledge about as well. And the only stuff that I really look at as real weeds in my garden are things like kaikuya, you know, different grasses that I'm constantly pulling out and are very hard to eradicate. So um, yeah. it's all relative to what you want. So you're opening a small uh, topic, which is really interesting because speaking about plants, there is definitely an interaction between plants 
and yeah. they are living creature that they are they can be really competitive against yeah. each other so if you don't have somebody that has the experience like you guys that knows how to put one or the other and the type of soil is going to be a little bit of a mess up generally yeah. people spend a lot of time without being happy about the outcome for the first time yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it there's a lot of elements that you need to look at, um, but soil is obviously a very, very important part. You know, it's a basis and it's what they all come from. So having really good soil structure is so, so very important. And how do you achieve that? Like, it's not often that you go into gardens um, anywhere in, in South Australia. I would think that you can just put in you know, you can't just grow vegetables, you need to do something with the soil. Our soil is not made for that. Yes, they're made for natives, which have different requirements. And in saying that, if you're just happy to eat, you know, native plants, you know, mum trees and, you know, the beach bananas and, you know, the different pig faces and stuff like that, that's great, but there's not many people. Are, 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 those, are those edible then? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so do you have any? Could, could we see some of them? Uh, do I have any pictures of them? Pictures and do you have any available in, in, in your garden? Oh, I've got, well, I've got saltbush. I've got the two different types of pig face, um, which is the small leaf pig face and the large pig face. Um, we've got, um, we've got, we had some muntries in, but the rabbits came and ate them, unfortunately. Now they uh, are super rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> Very chunky little rabbits they are. So can you share the screen so they can see because... A lot of people, especially the ones that they are not uh, into uh, food or into natives, they don't even know what they look like. Okay. Um, well, I don't have a huge amount of pictures of our natives here, but here's a couple. Mm -hmm. um, so this is saltbush. This okay. is uh, old man saltbush. Um, there's lots of different types of saltbush and you and I have spoken several times about, you know, why it's important to know botanical names of, of different plants because uh, this one, for instance, can get mixed up quite easily with other saltbushes. This is the leaves are edible. Um, you wouldn't necessarily eat them raw. Um, you could, but they actually have very small salt crystals on the outside of the leaves. So when you eat them raw, um, they're, they're quite salty, but they're quite astringent as well. So these are normally cooked, cooked like you would say um, baby spinach, um, just sauteed a little bit of um, uh, olive oil. Uh, definitely you don't need to add salt. Um, and they keep their structure. They don't break down like uh, baby spinach leaves do. So they've got a really, really nice texture when they're eaten and they're great just to stick a little branch in for, for instance, if you've got a roast chook or some roast vegetables and just cook it up and the flavor sort of goes into whatever you're cooking it with. Um, so this is um, Atroplex numillaria. And then there's a coastal salt bush, which we're actually doing some tests on at the moment um, because that grows more in this area because I, I live in Port Willunga. So all along the beach down here, um, there's the coastal salt bush growing. Whereas this one that we see in the picture here is more sort of from northern areas um, in South Australia. So it grows very well here, um, but the coastal salt bush grows at three times the rate, which is quite amazing. And from what we understand, it has a higher protein content too. So you know, really, really high in protein, this salt bush. So once again, these plants are, you know, they take 
everything that they can from the natural environment. They're, you know, endemic to South Australia um, and they just are highly nutritious. Uh, you just need to know how to prepare them. Um, here I am harvesting some beach bananas is the word that's used in restaurants. You might see that on menus. Dissimmer crassifolium is the botanic name um, or small leaf pig face. And if I go back to some other pictures here. I think uh, I've seen uh, the, the beach banana actually on a lot of beaches around yes, South Australia. Like for sure. You can find them over there. You could simply pick them up and give yeah. a wash and use them. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, I have eaten um, beach banana and samphire is another one in some of the driest places, like in the middle of January, and they're still crunchy and um, flavoursome and not overly salty. Um, and they just grow out of rocks, you know, it's just incredible. They just need a little bit of moisture to keep going. Um, this is ours that we have grown specifically for flowers, grown in, in trays of a light soil and sand. Um, so these ones flower profusely and they've got, you know, they're lovely and green, beautiful flowers. But if you see them, for instance, if you go over to, you know, the Air Peninsula and you're in, um, um, you know, you're there in January, February, they can be quite red, like the, the leaf foliage can be quite red, almost a dark purple, uh, because they just have a very different mineral um, you know, composition after spending all that time in the beating sun and not getting as much moisture. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how flavoursome they still are. So um, these would definitely, you know, these are, are, are quite diverse and can be grown in lots of different areas. Um, let's see what else I've got pictures of here. I don't think I've got too many other native pictures. I did have some muntries. Oh, I'm going to have to scroll very quickly to see if I can find those. Oh, here's ice plant. That's an interesting plant. This is actually from South Africa. Um, it's often sold as a um, Australian native, but it's not. It's naturalised here, which means it doesn't really take over that much. That's its flower. And this is its foliage when it's, at, you can see like all the little ice crystals on there. Um, hence its name, ice plant. Um, another succulent, something that can you live in, you know, really um, poor soils, but just still tastes great. It actually takes salt out of um, soil as well. So it can be beneficial. Um, and that that's beautiful. That's really tasty. Oh, here's your muntries and there we go. So that's, that's Muntries, um, Kunzia permifera, uh, a little fruit. Uh, it's ground cover in the Flurio. There's certain sections where you can find, you know, 20 square meters of it growing in some of the conservation parts and just eaten directly off the bush like that. And it's hard to tell from that scale, but that say, for instance, would be the size of the tip of my little finger. So they're only tiny, only about five millimeters across. But very sweet, very yummy, and you know, no big seed or anything that you have to chew around. Um, and while we're in this section, this here is another Australian native, um, native violet or viola herderacea. The whole plant is edible here again. Um, the leaves are edible, but not overly tasty. Um, I'd only sort of eat those if I was a little bit desperate. But the flowers are a, a lovely decoration, and you know, they're quite. Um, they don't have a huge flavour, but we do, 
they actually flower all year round and it's a really, really hardy plant. Um, it'll just come back year after year with a little bit of water. So we grow quite a few of those and they're really good for us to, as I was talking about earlier, having seasonality. You can see here what they look like in a punnet. So oh, nice. um, yeah, so um, they're a really good one, you know, for, for sweet flavorings because um, they can be treated in that way as well. So Definitely. And it's actually really nice the fact that having uh, native plants in your garden is, uh, doesn't require you to change the whole ecosystem, just yeah. to grow your own uh, fancy European varieties. When uh, you have uh, such interesting ingredients, they are available at uh, almost less than zero because they are yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. They grow much better in the environment. They don't have to have, they don't have big issues with eucalyptus trees. But they're yeah, yeah. Kind of nasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing here, look, here's a whole heap of those things I was talking about before. I'm glad mm -hmm. I found those. So this here is your purslane. This is what's growing in everybody's gardens now and they're pulling yeah. it out. You know, this whole um, stem can be eaten. Sorry, that's not quite in focus, but basically the whole plant can be eaten and then um, the seed can actually be ground down. Um, so they've got a tiny little seed, like a little black poppy seed. So when these dry out, you can shake, shake them, shake it out. And if you've got the time and persistence, you can actually ground that down and make um, like a, a flower out of it. Um, so I, was making, I was making salads with this, um, with this plant uh, back in Italy and uh, in Bulgaria too. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely overlooked. You know, I really, I actually, when I'm picking in the morning, so we often have two big flower picking days. And if I'm hungry, that's what I snap on. I really like it. Um, because of the texture, gives, yep. gives a response to the bite. It's not, yep. not yep. flat, it gives enough uh, experience, I can say. Yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great. So yeah, here's a few other bits and pieces. That's your plantain that I was talking about before. This sour sobs, that's another one. You know, this is a sour sob flower. Most people think it's just a complete weed, uh, but it's super high in nitrogen. So instead of throwing it out of the garden when we're not using it, we'll just um, sort of um, uh, harvest it and throw it back on the garden to, to uh, go back into the soil but that can be eaten the flower right through to the root so the leaves everything in between and a lot of us ate them as kids and kind of were talked out of it um, but you, you, you see the joy and the pleasure when people actually eat it it's mm. got that sourness but it really is quite stimulating mm. and it's yeah it's lovely particularly when you add it into in with other dishes as well yeah, but it will be really nice and I'm definitely looking to find someone that will be able to give me more tricks regarding not just the plants and the flavors, but also the interaction of the plant and our health. Yes. Because I believe that in the past there was a lot of use of plants for medicament use and nowadays we lost a lot of this knowledge or if we haven't, we simply are using much less. Yeah. Like, I think it will be really nice because, you know, if you want to have mild, uh, mild, uh, sometimes even not medicaments for yeah. something you have every day, why not growing them in your garden? Okay, well, I'll tell you something that I read recently, which is very interesting. This here, the dandelion. 
So dandelion, once again, flower right through to the root. I'm sure a lot of us would have heard of dandelion root tea, uh, which is very flavoursome, very good for the liver. Leaves are good for, for the liver, cleansing the liver. I read recently um, that um, eating the dandelion leaves, the dried dandelion leaves as a tea, or oh, sorry, drinking it, can stop the COVID protein spikes from attaching to our kidneys and our lungs. So very supportive to the immune system um, amongst, you know, many other things too. So this is, you know, there's every, every plant that you're looking at here on the screen has some sort of medicinal purpose. Um, and this is one of the things that I enjoy so much about when I'm doing the tours is often the people that come on the tours that we do are very interested in herbs and flowers and they give me just as much information sometimes that I give them mm. particularly um, people from European backgrounds like yourself you know you, you have eaten them as kids you know it's not unusual to be gathering them and putting them in your salad whereas here in Australia we just look at anything that's not a cause letter sometimes as as a weed yeah, um, and I think it's, yeah it's really important to change attitude and to look to look around like I now know um for instance last year I was over on the Air Peninsula I was saying like in January February you look around and you think my god you know this place is so so desolate like right next to you know the ocean with the strong winds and you know and the hot sunshine there was so much that was edible um and that's through my knowledge and learning from um Aboriginal elders as well who have taught me about what can eat and what and what you can eat at what time of the year um, so having that bit of knowledge is really empowering, actually, and it's certainly great to be able to, you know, take my daughter around and and teach her those things as well. And it's, um, I think, something that should be more part of our education, and we should all be learning a little bit more about it. Um, and there's a lot of information out there. There's so many different ways of learning it these days too. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I think we can go back on the uh, the full screen. Yep. Because all time is gone. It's ah. really, really quick. I was not expecting that. It was really nice <laughs> to have you on the Ag Adventures podcast, this new format. And yeah. uh, definitely, uh, well, it's, it's an experience for people who's interested to come along and uh, during the tour, or they can even come just for the Edible Garden tour experience, Yeah, which is they can get in contact with you. They can pass through the Ag Adventures platform. It's all good. And uh, they now know what's going to happen over there. Yeah. I mean, not, not completely. Like there are still a lot of secrets and things to discover because really over there you taste things. So you yeah. have the option to try and feel yeah. and, uh, and touching. It's, it's more a sensory experience. Yeah, yeah. I think we should have uh, the next step. You know what it is? It's cooking with Rachel. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. You know, we go, go, we go to do some... Uh, uh, harvesting or some yeah. uh, and, then, and then we bring the ingredients back and then we cook something it would be really cool and we better get a glass of penny's hill wine too i think <laughs> well that i think it's it's going to be required so yeah, yeah. very okay. good all thank right very much rachel thank for you being for having us. Today. it was a pleasure thank you and i'll uh, see you again on here okay. all right okay bye bye bye, bye.